I'm wondering if uh, someone wants to read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and I have a copy of it here. (laughs) (laughs) The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or power or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God so pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 1, 15-20. Thanks, Michael. So in this passage, um, Jesus uh, reconciles all things to himself, um, and this was a key passage from uh, when I talked last time, um, uh, talking about um, uh, the reconciliation that happens um, not only for ourselves but for others, uh, reconciling um, ourselves uh, with God, with ourselves, with others, and with society around us, and that this is the important process that, that we want for ourselves and we want for people that we're trying to help or that we're in partnership with. And so that's what I'd like to uh, continue to talk about today. Um, the title got cut off in the bulletin, so this was uh, an example of helping without hurting um, uh, microfinance. So I want to talk about one aspect of it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what the Malawi Committee has been wrestling with. Um, I guess Susan's a member of the Malawi committee. There's no others here. And oh, James, yes. Hi, James. Way back. Hidden. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to uh, describe what led the Malawi committee to set up a trial partnership with the microfinance organization Opportunity International. And I'll tell you a little bit about them. And I want to discuss what I've been reading about uh, microfinance. Um, uh, you know how it works, the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, and uh, so, so when I say microfinance, um, uh, is anyone unsure what I mean by that? I'm unsure. Okay. <laughs> and um, who is very familiar with microfinance? Anyone? Okay. Can, can, yes. Can, can I put forward an example? Okay. I yes. Can be great. Completely off base. But this is what I think it is. Is um, it is uh, there's a, a, a number of women, and mm-hmm. um, and I guess men can be financed, and uh, and, um, and 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 they are provided with a nanny goat. And so then there's going to be milk. There's going to be kids. I guess there's got to be a billy goat there somewhere, and uh, and it, it changes the, the the life of a community actually quite rapidly. Is that an example? Yeah, that would be an example in in one form. Um, so, do you know any uh, microfinance organizations? Any names of organizations? World Vision. World Vision. Do they do microfinance? So so. Um, I'm going to divide it into two, microfinance and those that are... Okay, so World Vision does both then. Any other names? Kiva. Kiva is microfinance, okay. I think Samaritan's First. Okay. I'm not sure. So, but they're more, do they... They're more um, giving materials to people, right? So that would be the the non-microfinance. Would you give a definition, actually? Okay, yes, I will. (laughs) Okay, I'll do that. 
So, so uh, microfinance refers to financial services, providing financial services to the poorest people of the world. And um, microfinance began as microcredit, which is maybe another way uh, we've heard about it, providing loans to the poor. And then it expanded to other services like um, savings accounts and insurance. Um, Muhammad Yunus began offering these loans to the very poor in Bangladesh in 1974 and went on to form the Grameen Bank in 1983, which you may be familiar with. And um, Opportunity International um, is the oldest Christian finance uh, microfinance organization, which was founded in 1971. Um, so so um, <coughs> Muhammad Yunus focused on loans to the extremely poor, um, he gives an example of a woman weaving a bamboo stool, borrowing 22 cents from a local money lender um, to buy raw materials, then making the stool and returning the stool to the money lender who paid her 22 cents, so she made two cents a day on it, um, which was a small fraction of the value of the stool, but she's caught uh, with a money lender. So um, this is sort of where he started in the village close to where he was living, and um, uh, wanted to find a way to loan money to people who needed it in, in that kind of circumstance. I have um, a question. Yes. Is microfinancing, microfinance, with the goal of uh, helping others to become self-sufficient? That's, that's mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, because I was having trouble with this definition, I'm thinking, this is debt. How is this helpful? Yeah, so... so but it, the goal is to teach them to become uh, productive and, and in society. That's right, yeah. So it, it's to provide the means of, of being okay. productive. Got it. And um, there, there are um, dangers with debt, and, and I'll talk about that more okay. later. Yeah. So, so Eunice, um, just to quote him, said, most people assume that I was trying to alleviate poverty by lending to small businesses that would then expand to hire the poor. It took people a while to see that I actually advocated lending to the poor directly. So these were very small loans, micro, the word for small, right? And um, so this very small fan, uh, finance. So um, turns out that banks don't give loans to the poor for a number of reasons. Um, one of them is that for very small loans, the cost of administering the loan is way more than the money the bank could make by doing that. The other is that the poor have no collateral, and that was a big, um, a big barrier to giving them loans. And then it was really costly to get information about the poor, um, you know, whether they were, uh, would be able to repay the loan, how they would use it. Um, and this is where um, Eunice and other organizations have solved the problem through a variety of sort of innovations. The, the main innovation was group borrowing or trust groups. So this is like you described, a group of women um, uh, in the Grameen Bank. It's organized five people in a group, um, and uh, they co-guarantee each other's loans. Um, so they're responsible for each other's repayments. Um, they self-select the group together so that they are, um, uh, they're not forced into it. Um, and they're given training, and, um, and uh, that's an important thing that I'll talk about more later. Um, and uh, the other innovation was he instituted a daily payment program. So rather than having all the payment due at the end with the sort of psychological barrier of giving up a large sum of money. Um, he made small repayments from the very beginning of the loan. So if the loan was, uh, 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 and, and over a short, relatively short period, say a year, so if the loan, loan was $365, then it would be $1 a day was repaid each day as people um, used the loan um, to, uh, to uh, start or as, as part of input to a business or micro-enterprise. And the other part of it is that he treated the poor with deep respect. Um, and Opportunity Bank uh, of Malawi has this as well, the Client Bill of Rights. The first item is you have the right to be treated with respect. And uh, Eunice writes, 
Today, for the first time in her life, an institution has entrusted her, this is the, the woman who's given a loan, a great sum of money. And he goes on in another part to write, They do not need us to teach them how to survive. They already know how to do this. We try to maximize use of their existing skills. The cash they earn is then a tool that unlocks a host of other abilities. Often borrowers teach each other new techniques. So this is this this sense of respect is a really important part of of uh, of this. And finally, it develops uh, local staff and local institutions. For example, Opportunity uh, Bank Malawi is an independent bank in Malawi with its own board of directors, um, but it's part of the Opportunity International Network of banks um, in different countries and uh, connected to uh, 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 the, um, the, inst- uh, the organizations in Canada, the United States, and uh, German- Germany and Britain. So that kind of gives you a brief background to, to microfinance. I didn't know how much people would know or not. Um, so, so now I'll describe a little bit of the struggles of the Malawi Committee um, which uh, led towards this partnership forming. Um, the Malawi Committee, as you know, reports back to the Missions Committee, part of St. John's. And um, uh, the relationship is between St. John's as a church with the Anglican Church in Malawi, but specifically with the Diocese of the Upper Shiri. That's one of the four dioceses in Malawi, which you, you probably know. And the diocese recently celebrated its 150th anniversary, um, which makes it older than Vancouver, which just celebrated its 125th anniversary. So it's quite a a remarkable um, um, place. Um, The diocese, as as you probably know from the various visitors, consists of 33 parishes, each with a parish priest, but each with um, up to you know a dozen different outstations, which are churches in the outline, outlying villages, which are run by lay leaders and which the parish priests visit on rotation. So it's a very um, demanding task to be a parish priest <coughs> there. Um, the focus uh, of our relationship with Malawi has been on partnership. Um, a draft document from several years ago says, "quote." The purpose of the partnership is to strengthen and encourage and equip each member, that is uh, St. John's and the Diocese of the Upper Shiri, in the spread of the go- and spread of and strengthening the work of the gospel. The partnership will be defined by its reciprocity and mutuality. The hope of the partnership is it would develop to the point where each member's communities consider the other members' communities as an extension of themselves. And so this morning when James prayed for all of the bishops of Anak, he included um, Bishop Brighton of uh, the Diocese of the Upper Shiri. Um, and uh, since we are part of them and they are part of us um, through our partnership. So the, the Malawi budget um, that we receive from the Missions Committee supports, it provides salary support for the parish priests um, uh, this this uh, adds to the salaries of uh, the priests in the poorish, poorest of the parishes, provides uh, tuition for training of new priests, since that's an important goal of adding to the number of priests um, to service these many areas um, and provide support there. Um, and also development of a Sunday school program has been a big focus over the last five years or so. And then the partnership visits with people from Malawi visiting us and we visiting Malawi. And um, I guess it's with the partnership component that we've wrestled the most. Um, Even though we're um, united as a church, there's a large cultural and I think even bigger economic divide between us and them. And, uh, you know, as you know, Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, and uh, uh, how do we build a partnership across this divide? And um, I guess uh, I wrote here, we're all camels, and we're all trying to fit through the eye of a needle, (laughs) and uh, certainly we need God's grace to do that. Um, And I think the Malawi Committee has been very conscious of wanting a true partnership, 
um, where we not only help Malawi, but where Malawians can minister to us as well. I think that's been really important in our wrestling. Um, I think we're only at the beginning of really trying, beginning of really understanding how to make that mutual. Um, and then, and then with the partnership, we've gotten to meet people, to to visit them, to care for them, and um, I think that has gotten very difficult in some ways to deal with. Um, and there's this upwelling of desire to to do something, right? We've just got to do something for them, and and this has been been a, a growing desire and and a good desire, and how to do that. Is, is sort of why I'm here talking about um, this. So, so to describe that tension um, a little further, part of the desire comes out of the sense that we have so much. I guess that's uh, uh, you know a feelings that we have, and and um, uh, can't we simply give them a truck, which has been something we've wrestled over. Um, how can we give money to finish the roof on a church? You know, should we do that? Or to pay for a child's high school, um, which is about $100 a year. Uh, Father Grant, when he was here, told me that he had, um, he had, I think it was two children of his own, but he had two of his nieces living with him. And he, since he was a priest, he had a better salary than most. And he was supporting his two nieces to go to high school and paying their high school fees that were living with him. So he was um, ministering to within his own family. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's those kind of stories that kind of get us. And, um, and uh, so that's, that's why we're wrestling with this. Um, uh, so as, as we talked about last time uh, with the book Helping Without Hurting, and I have some copies here, or it's actually What Helping Hurts, um, by uh, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. If anyone wants to borrow a copy to read, um, there's a little pile here, Help Yourself. Uh, and uh, we talked about um, creating dependency, um, that when someone is given something the first time they're thankful the second time they're expectant, and the third time they're dependent is kind of a little saying out of uh, out of the development community. And it's also deeply disenabling. Um, Brian Fickert writes, and, and this is sort of jumping back a little bit to last time, in the vast majority of cases, North American audiences define poverty differently than the poor in low-income countries do. While poor people mention having a lack of material things, they tend to describe their condition in far more psychological and social terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social, social isolation, and voicelessness. So that, that when we look, we see a lack of material things, but when the poor describe their own condition, they're describing it more in terms of, especially in terms of shame, and, and the sense of inferiority. And so there's a deep issue in giving of, of pride and of, of uh, developing confidence and of enabling rather than disabling. And I think that was the message out of the Helping Without Hurting last time was that by, by giving to others, uh, uh, we are hurting them by disabling them um, giving inappropriate, I guess is the right word. and um, But we're also hurting ourselves because we get to play the powerful role of deciding how this is all going to work. And and, and uh, 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 Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert talk about the God complex that the wealthy have and sort of a difficult concept to get around and I kind of resisted it as he talked about it first. But it, eventually it struck home to me so that, that the equation of defining... Poverty is simply the lack of material goods and uh, then our sense of powerfulness and the disenabling of the recipient all results in harm rather than in help, which is what what our, our, our hearts really want. Um, and, um, and so Brian and Steve's solution to that is to go back to the gospel that Jesus 
redeems um, our relationships uh, with each other as well as um, uh, and that and with uh, the community and wants all of these things to be reconciled um, and to to do this in a different way is the suggestion. So so simply given also focuses on needs um, rather than on the tremendous assets that are available with with um, those who are there. That's part of it. It uh, has a lack of accountability, <coughs> and I already mentioned that the the the, the, um, the control lies in the helper's hands. So so poverty isn't simply material lack, but also broken relationships. Okay, so so um, helping without hurting distinguishes between relief and development. And so we have been doing relief in providing funds to Malawi uh, for the floods that happened recently. And um, uh, this has been a, a, a great response on the part of the congregation. And um, uh, actually it was the trustees that insisted there be an end date to that um, giving, which is appropriate because relief should be seldom, immediate, and temporary, according to uh, Brian and Steve. Um, So they distinguish between relief and development. Relief is the immediate meeting of emergency needs in a situation, um, and that oftentimes we land up doing relief when when we're really the appropriate thing to do is development. So development is um, is a bigger response to help people, um, uh, and uh, so this is kind of where we struggle. Um, we we not only want to provide direct support for the church um, and provide relief in these emergencies, but as a long-term goal, as a dream, we would like the diocese of the upper Shiri to become independent. I guess part of the dream is that the parishioners would have sufficient funds to pay their own parish priests and to build churches for themselves um, uh, or possibly um, to partner with us to build those churches so that they have an important role in that. And I think that, it, that that's what, um, what I've been reading in the different books on development and uh, uh, has, has emphasized is that this is a, an important important issue that we need to be aware of. So, okay, so that's that's about relief, development, and helping, and um, and our Malawi, uh, the struggle of the Malawi committee. And uh, so as we were wrestling with this, um, we had heard about Opportunity International, which is this um, Christian microfinance organization and we had met people here in Vancouver who are from the organization. At the same time, I'm sure you've heard the story uh, at the Malawi lunches of how um, uh, when um, Sally Boshung and Jim May and James were in Malawi, uh, that Father Francis had uh, taken them into the market to meet a member of uh, Opportunity Bank, which we didn't realize at the time was Opportunity International's bank in Malawi, um, which is working in the diocese of the upper Shiri and um, he was very excited about this idea of offering loans um, uh, to uh, parishioners and to members of the community um, because he could see the way they could use that um, to develop their talents within the community and um, so so that was kind of uh, something that came together from both directions both from um, Malawi and uh, from us here and uh, led to a trial agreement between Opportunity International and St. John's to support um, this kind of uh, this kind of development. So the 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 pros of uh, microfinance is that it 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 um, uh, is sensitive to these issues that uh, helping without hurting points out. Um, it's development and not relief. Um, so microfinance has moved beyond just loans. It also has savings and insurance. Um, uh, there's, for example, education savings, and uh, which I'll mention a little more about. 
And an important part of it, so, so, so for, you know, as you're probably <coughs> thinking, important part of it is how does this work um, within the group? And an important part of it is the training, as I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, um, uh, going back to helping without hurting again, they talk about we don't want to develop um, consumers uh, who are going into debt in order to consume. We want to develop a Christian worldview of, of work and of uh, work ethic um, and so that the training becomes uh, a really important part of it, small business training, uh, financial literacy and and all set within a context of uh, of a Christian worldview, and this is this is expensive to do um, for an organization, um, but this is something that uh, Opportunity International, as a Christian organization, is committed to doing, and that's uh, it's often done in liaison with a local church, um, and. Uh, uh, that's that's part of the excitement is that um, uh, the diocese is very interested in this and uh, have the vision themselves of of how this might work. Both Father Francis and Father John were here when they were here spoke very quietly but very passionately against handouts and they they are very excited about this this possibility. Um, and. Uh, Okay, so some of the other things I touched on, developing local staff and, uh, and local organizations. So Bishop Brighton has delegated uh, Father Francis and Father Grant to coordinate with Opportunity Bank Malawi. And uh, let's see. So, so um, Opportunity uh, Bank Malawi has done several innovations itself in order to reach rural populations. Since uh, Malawi is 80% rural, most of the poverty is in the rural areas. It's uh, subsistence farming. Um, uh, and uh, <coughs> maybe this would be a topic for another time, but I was reading how the population had doubled over the last 20 years, but the uh, um, amount of corn that is grown in Malawi has stayed approximately flat and so this has resulted in reduced food per person within the country. So there are there are larger economic conditions that are that are difficult in Malawi as well. Um, but to reach those rural populations um, they began with kiosk banks and mobile banks. This was a bank in a truck um, that drove around to the rural areas. Um, but that turned out to be quite expensive. Um, now they're working on a mobile phone banking program, which they've actually implemented. It's called uh, uh, Bank Mamamja. And then they also have an agent banking system for those without mobile phones so that um, people or, or small stores that sell things would become an agent of the bank. Um, the mobile phone Banking is, is particularly interesting since so many people across the world um, own mobile phones, even the poorest, and allows people to do their banking right from home um, in this way. And I can read you... Uh, sorry, I should have pulled this out earlier. Um, an illustration of... Uh, so this is uh, from the... Uh, uh, Opportunity Bank Malawi um, uh, uh, third quarter report from 2014 and this is uh, Brenda right here uh, with her mobile phone um, pictured right uh, Brenda first approached Opportunity Malawi Bank in 2008 invested her first loan of $167 to launch her very own business selling tomatoes in front of her modest shelter in Mizuzu she has invested a series of loans, transforming her cart into a small shop, and her most recent loan was $534. Over time, Brenda diversified her business to add fish, attracting more customers. Brenda says she especially appreciates the training she received from her loan officer and transformation officer. Today, Brenda is enjoying the safety and convenience of Opportunity Malawi's bank, Mamanja, which is the phone banking um, being able to stay on top of her business account uh, with SMS functions on her cell phone. 
Um, let's see. So, so that's the that's the positive side. There is also a negative side to microfinance, though, as well. Um, uh, so, Michael Yunus won the Nobel Prize for microfinance in 2006. He, um, uh, my, uh, uh, sorry, Mohammed Yunus and his uh, Grameen Bank, um, and. Um, that started uh, a tremendous push towards microfinance agencies. Um, uh, eventually, uh, there was this idea that, well, an ongoing idea that it could be a for-profit bank, and some uh, sold shares with uh, initial public offerings raising up to $200 million. Um, this, this had its positive sides in the sense that People wanted to push microfinance banking. This is not Opportunity International. This is other banks um, into uh, rural areas, and by raising a lot of cash, they could do that rapidly. At the same time, it meant that they had to increase interest rates um, that they were charging on the loans, and they had to cut back on on the teaching and the transformational side uh, and the helping side of the loans. And this led to several problems, which you probably read about in the newspaper, um, with uh, uh, campaigns that have happened by uh, people to refuse repayment of their loans, or um, in, in India, um, suicides uh, due to you know over indebtedness. So th this is definitely a, a, a potential problem um, uh, uh, with the expansion of microfinance. Uh, in some places, there are a variety of microfinance organizations working in the same area, and people have, you know, taken a loan from one, then taken a loan from another, and repaid the other, and so are taking serial loans um, and and moving into indebtedness, as you mentioned, Paula. And uh, uh, this is something that um, has resulted in criticism of what other look, otherwise looked like a really good idea. The other criticism is that. That you know, how many tomato sellers can, how many tomato stores can one town hold? Um, part of it is uh, being realistic about the economic base within the community and um, diversifying appropriately, and that really is a topic for for, for another time. But um, uh, I think what what's happened in the microfinance uh, uh, is that that. A bunch of the organizations have gotten together to develop um, client-focused um, practices and um, and to monitor the results of the microfinance loans on people's well-being. So it's a social performance management, they call it, a strange um, name. So uh, uh, managing and measuring the performance of the loans in doing the initial um, goal of uh, providing benefit to people rather than just running a business. And um, so Opportunity International has been one of the ones on the forefront of, of measuring and uh, <clears throat> monitoring and being uh, client-focused um, and collecting data in order, to, in order to ensure that they are doing what, they, what their initial goal was to do rather than leading people into harm. Um, so, so um, uh, yeah. So, uh, Opportunity is a Christian organization. Uh, most of the staff in the uh, Opportunity Bank in Malawi are Christians. Um, there are many examples of where the the trust groups in which um, the women are as, as focuses on loaning to women particularly, though it does loan to men as well, um, focuses on developing um, those trust groups through training, and that has often developed into Bible studies and other support within the community, which has been good. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. So, let's see, where are we? Yes, good. Um, it's been a few years since yeah. Read about opportunity banks, so well, this is going to sound like an old yep. illustration. But the, the Economist had a story about a woman in India who uh, uh, borrowed money to buy a cell phone. Now, right. this is going to sound silly when so many poor people now have cell phones. 
but she wanted to uh, get a loan to develop a business about renting out her cell phone. Ah, okay. And she did, and it was a huge success, and she went on to two cell phones, and so on. But the thing that was never explained, and maybe you have an answer, is how she determined this need. Because, mm. you know, it's okay to have a surplus of tomatoes and want to sell them. But really, sussing out um, where is the place that I could develop my own little business, that sort of market research is really not available to these people, is it? Unless the Opportunity Bank does workshops and things and helps them discover that. Um, do What sort of help um, could you tell us about that would people have to come with a marketable idea or you help them to discover what that would be? Um, that's, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I, I don't know how that process works in detail in Malawi and that's something we'd like to find out. And um, uh, uh, the next group that goes to Malawi from St. John's, I mean, one of the tasks will be looking at these kind of questions um, on the ground. How does that work? Um, uh, Muhammad Yunus talks a great deal about that as being really important. That's the interaction between the, the loan officer and the... and. Uh, the, in the Brenda story here, there was also a transformation officer. I'm curious as to what is that, um, and and the and the clients. And his response was that that um, they have a sense of, of what their opportunities are around them. Um, you know, it's it's their creativity and ideas in in their community. I guess part of having and part of having it into a trust group where there are five or six women is that they can support each other and also um, help each other be realistic about goals and, and about choices that are made within the group. So that's that's part of the powerful dynamic of it is that it's a, a, a loan to individuals but but within a group. Um, so yeah, so that, that's a partial answer for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's a real important topic. Yeah. Any other questions? Roger, could you give us an idea of the scale of the, the present scale of the Opportunity Bank's uh, effort in Malawi? The number of people that are helping the, uh, the whether they're more short of candidates or they're more short of funds. What was the uh, Situation. Uh, whether it's candidates or funds, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm have a, well, actually, I'm pretty sure I know what the answer would be. But um, uh, uh, the clients with loans right now is uh, 70,000 people, and um, clients with savings account, with volunteering and savings accounts, around 600,000. So that's uh, Malawi has a population of 15 million. Um, uh, I don't know what the population of the diocese of the Upper Shiri is, but it would be about a quarter of that or a little more because it's one of the more populated regions. So, so 600,000 savings accounts out of 15 million. And Opportunity Bank is now helping 7,000 people, is it? 70,000 people with loans wow. and uh, 600,000 with savings accounts. Yeah. yeah. And the average loan size, I divided their total outstanding loans, which was 20 million, divided by the number of loans, gives an average loan of $147 per loan. So, yeah. so they're very small loans. Yeah, yeah Harvey? Roger, you mentioned that in passing uh, that the safety and security issue of, of these various forms of banking, yeah. the mechanism. It's, is, a, is Malawi, a, would you characterize it as uh, this is a community where, a jurisdiction, where business contracts are enforceable? I mean, is, is it a good business environment in that regard? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think so. Um, uh, part of microfinance, by organizing it within groups like that, increases the chance of repayment. Um Again, Muhammad Yunus speaks about this a lot in Bangladesh, where uh, the poorest would 
faithfully return the loans, and um, whereas larger loans by businesses to banks would often be defaulted on in his situation. So, so um, it's it's part of the developing that relationship between the bank and the the trust group between the the uh, between the the loan officer and the trust group that that is really important. Um, and uh, and for a long time, people said, well, this is just special to Bangladesh. This can't happen anywhere else. It's some special characteristic of the poor in Bangladesh, and he had to fight against that a great deal. Um, and uh, But I think that's been demonstrated now not to be the case. They've been able to replicate it in other places as well. So it's a, it's a very interesting question, and that I don't really fully understand and would like to know more about. Yes? Yeah, a book that complements the book he mentions uh-huh. called uh, Dances with Dependency by Calvin Haley's a oh, okay. lawyer. Oh, okay. His brother's the chief of the court system, so he's mentioning with the, he's native, but with the, you know, like you're saying, when you're giving too much to people, it, it uh, how it has a, not a good effect mm-hmm. on his book. The theme of his book is almost exactly the theme that oh, okay. you've got behind you there. Right, okay. you heard the book. I was at his book launch and everything oh, at the Central okay. Library. I've never heard of yours, so you mentioned it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I haven't heard of this, so yeah. I will look that up. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Dancing with Dependency Calvary. Right. He's a lawyer. Oh, okay. Right. His dad always taught him to pay his own way and work hard. And uh, so uh, he was brought up on the right. court system. Okay. <laughs> I'll Are you finished talking? And we all ask our questions, or do you have some more? We can say uh, no, I, I, think, I think I'm done here. And, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, I have a question. So, um, you've talked about the different kinds of things, partnership, the different kinds of things that St. John's funds. So, yeah. is there like a portion goes, is this a new project that we're now funding, or is it, were you redirecting some of our funds, or how is that? I honestly don't know. Oh, I see. But budgetary, yeah. So, so the, the budget for, um, uh, remains the same. Um, uh, the partnership with Opportunity International is something that parishioners can give to if they would like to. So oh, so it's like a separate thing. It's a separate thing, yeah. So the the, Mala- the St. John's budget does not contribute to Opportunity International. It continues to go to, uh, to the Diocese of Upper Shiri and for the partnership trips. But it's an, an added component if people would like to do that. And I think part of the motivation came out of the committee itself, wanting to be able to... To help, um, yeah. So, and I have a flyer here if anyone's interested in a story of Beatrice and uh, and uh, uh, the ways to contribute um, if you want to. Um, of course, well, there's no no pressure. We want to allow our, our money to go to the Malawi committee on our envelope every month or whatever. Then it could be used for some of this. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm afraid not. So at St. John's, they they. Um, so, so outside of the special relief fund that's going to the diocese for the flood, otherwise there's no designated giving at Malawi. I mean, sorry, <laughs> designated giving at St. John's. Um, all, all funds at St. John's, as I understand it, go into the budget, and we get, and Mal- the Malawi committee gets part of that budget. Okay. So. There, there will be for the summer team. There, there will be designated giving for the summer team as well, but that's, that's um, coming up. Yeah. Sorry, just a clarification, Sheila. When I was the chair of the missions committee, we didn't have designated certain things that people yeah, could donate to. There was that. a decision made yes. at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was a decision made to uh, kind of well. change that. So, so part of the rationale for that was that as an individual, you can choose to, to donate to a different organization like Opportunity International or to World Vision or to but they felt that uh, they didn't want uh, individual congregants to be directing their funds to a specific portion of the St. John's budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that later. Exactly. Um, so, so to be clear, um, so funding to Opportunity Bank Malawi serves all of Malawi because the organization covers all of Malawi, not just the Diocese of the Upper Shiri. Um, loans are made available to all community members, not just to members of the Anglican um, Church within Malawi. So it is a, a broader um, uh, uh, contribution. 
and there's no individualized reporting. You don't get back uh, like a sponsoring a child a, a, a description of the individual um, uh, contributions and loans that were made, since that is very costly for organization to do. And even in child sponsorship, they're moving away from that kind of individual individualized reporting. Um, but we're hoping that when uh, St. John's visits Malawi that we'll be able to collect stories and, and, and uh, learn more that way. Um, okay, so, so I, I don't want to just focus on um, uh, Opportunity International. Uh, you know, it, it, I guess, and so in closing then, unless people have more questions, you're welcome to have more questions. I had a question for you is that how um, how do we be in relationship with Malawi? And um, how do we, what, do you have any suggestions for, you know, what, what else should we be doing? What, what, what uh, how can we partner uh, or be partnered uh, across this economic and, and the cultural divide and distance divide as well? Anyway, I just thought I'd open that up to uh, to uh, any suggestions that you might have. Is it too late to ask a question? You bet. No, never. How did we become partnered in the first place? Um, because because we because uh, we were interested and uh, Malawi was interested, so we thought we'd try an experimental partnership. No, oh, the, not the bank. Not oh, the bank. Oh, you no, mean no, with the Malawi? With Malawi? No, no, I'm, I'm asking, how does St. John's become partnered with, with this? The Diocese of the Upper Shiri. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's my question. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that, that goes back, um, I don't know, about... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like, did you say 1970? Oh, no, I'm not that old. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure it's my
just the love and, and generosity. That's like that's like Italian and Portuguese. They're kind of like that too, with the giving type thing, like family and food and keep your day going. It's just a cultural thing. Nice. Harvey. Well, is there, are there, through the larger mechanisms of ACNA and the Archbishops of Africa, I mean, through that big connection, is there also, uh, are we, do we filter down through that structure to our friends here? Or is um, that just irrelevant? That's another issue. No, the partnership is directly between us and them. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what ACNA is. So. Well, that's the Anglican Church in North America. Oh, okay. That's yeah. our problem. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, and, but... And we're related to the Africans, and, and we're, so we're the same team. I, I don't know those. Anglicanism. Yeah, I don't know those answers. I do know that, I mean, this is a unique. We're going directly with these people, and that's why it's exchange trips. But I know they have exchanges with other... Like the church in England has the same, similar thing, because they had a bishop who had been a missionary down there, so... This is the you know personal connections they have with several churches. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. And do we work in sync with them? Not yet. <laughs> We're not overlapping. No, I don't think so. No. I think that's one of the sort of again one of the things for me the really lovely part of working with someone you know, that you know the names of the priests and you know the people in the, and, and, it, and they do become your neighbors and it's not just like I write a check to some anonymous organization. Yeah. It was it over time we really come to know people. Yeah. Actually Harvey, if I sorry. <laughs> but what I did notice when I you know, we're doing this careful research how to give appropriately and respectfully and not ruin things. On the website for the church in England, they had this advertisement, you know, give to this container that we're shipping to Africa with our used bicycles and, and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Some of it may have been appropriate, but a lot of that stuff would just be your hand-me-downs that we're shipping in a container. And, you know, I thought that was really interesting how they're approaching this person. I don't know that they have carefully selected what they're shipping on the container, but that's why Opportunity National is our, you know, how do you thoughtfully do this so that they're, they can do what they want, right? They can use their skills. We're not telling them what to do. We're not giving them used clothes so that they don't make their own clothes anymore, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. Phil. <coughs> Roger, <coughs> my impression is that a number of charitable organizations are very good at supplying anecdotal evidence to tell you the importance of their work. Yeah. There's a very good anecdote right here. I know, yes. But there are, and I don't know about this organization, yep. but others are very slow to provide auditory statements of what's actually happening to the funds and how much is going into administration and how much is going to the people. Mm-hmm. The second thing I find, my impression, is they're mm-hmm. very slow to uh, quantify the vision they have. <coughs> For example, in this case, how many people um, are, are we urgently needing this kind of help? Right. And what, what could happen if the help were larger and so forth? And uh, so, so it's the vision of what could be done if more support were possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just surprised that, and I think this applies to local charities as well as ones far away. That there isn't more attention being given to taking donors into the conference or conference and saying, this is really exactly what our stewardship means, and secondly, what our vision would be for an enlargement of our stewardship. So, um, I don't know that we could. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's help to be had there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I have had similar thoughts. Um, in terms of audited statements, Opportunity International is at the lower end in terms of the percentage that goes to administration in Canada. I think it's around 15%. Um, that's still significant, but it's it's on the lower end compared to other organizations. Is that information available, or is it just that's, you have to ferret it out somehow? I, I believe it's in their um, annual report, but I'll, I'll look. I mean, I asked, and that's that's the answer I got. I mean, it varies by year. 
Um, I mean, I think the underlying principles of any charitable organization has to be utterly transparent. Yes. What it does. Yeah. And, and, and so the the report that should be made to donors would be exactly the same as it goes to its own board of directors. Yeah. Uh, barring confidential information, of course. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'll look into that. And then in terms of quantifying the vision and the impact on the ground, that's been something that microfinance has been slow to do, um, you know, to to uh, have um, rigorous studies of what is the impact of these loans on the communities. Um, and those have been, uh, those have not, and, and that's sort of what Opportunity is moving towards in terms of this uh, attempting to collect the data. It's costly to do that, to, to gather the information back again, and but I think that's really important, and I think they're moving in the right direction. But I agree with you. Everyone has their best anecdote, which lands up on the newsletter, right? But what on average? And actually, what I would like to hear is some failure stories, right? What Who, who got a loan and did not do well with the loan or got into trouble with the loan? I would like to hear those stories. If, if an organization put that in their newsletter... I would be uh, I would be thrilled. But, yeah. It uh, it seems to me that uh, the area we're talking about is is impoverished as far as uh, agriculture. Yes. But uh, when you when you look at the artisans, they're probably even more impoverished because anything they they do make or manufacture or, mm-hmm. or design or whatever, there's nobody to buy it. Mm-hmm. So. For them to get a loan just to be able to produce, you know, buy the product, the materials mm-hmm. that they need, uh, it still ends up at a, at a zero because there's no place for it to go unless there's somebody to come in who will buy that from them and take it out of the country to another area where it can be marketed and then take, you know, and go back and buy more, but mm-hmm. pay them proper wages in order to produce the. the Whatever it is, um, Zimbabwe turns out the most beautiful stone carvings. Mm. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable to try and ship because it's one of the heaviest stones that you can get, and right. it's harder than, than uh, as far as, as as working with it. It's terribly hard to work with, but it's beautiful to look at. Right. Like, yeah. It's like a, a marble that's just full of all these different colors, but for them. Would they be able to? Would the artisans be able to get loans? Because there's no, there doesn't seem to be anything there to take it from where it's being produced and, and out for on the street, like the, mm-hmm. the tomatoes, yeah, uh, to sell. Yeah, that's that's part of the part of the difficulty. So, so um, Bob Collier in his book The Bottom Billion describes the the blockages to these poorest countries. One of them is uh, democracy. Uh, fortunately, uh, Malawi has a democracy, so that a reasonably robust democracy. Um, a resource extraction becomes a block towards development because it, it skews the local economy, and so Malawi does not have resource extraction. But Malawi is landlocked, and the neighbors, the neighboring countries, are all poor that they trade with. So those are the two; those are two major blockages towards mm-hmm. development. And, and part of part of it is investment, um, you know, uh, uh, lacking investment within the country, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm sort of stepping beyond what I really know about. But but you know, providing these loans is a way of stimulating the economy at a very low level. I mean, opportunities focuses really on the poorest. People, though they do also give loans to to the sort of less poor, or you know, uh, as well. But their their real heart and goal is to go to the poorest people themselves, and uh, so so that, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems to me that even if somebody did get a loan and start making money, mm-hmm. that artwork would be the first. I, I probably not. Yeah, yeah it's, it, most of the stories are about food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, maybe Alexandra remembers this when a, a group went over and came back saying what they need are bicycles for the pastors and right. sewing machines. And apparently, when when asked when the group there was asked what your needs are, sort of like immediately, what could we help with? 
the men went off into a committee to have a look at this and think about it. The women didn't need a committee. They immediately said, sewing machine. And they said, we have the cloth, and you know, we need to get make the products. Well, there must be a big fair, or they must be on a trade route or something. They had no hesitation about thinking that they would be able to sell what they oh. could make. Oh, okay. So what goes like beyond the village, we should maybe look at sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, or maybe yeah. we already have. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's a good question. With the, the Maui, was that a, was that a former colony of any? Yes. Any yeah. Britain. So, so the official language of the country is English. Um, yeah. Any other questions? What's on your wish list? On my wish list? Um, well, I I would. Um, how, how do we how do we love people across this gap, right? That's mm -hmm. that I find difficult, and I would like us to grow in that, right? Um, and and how to have a true partnership where we're ministered to by Malawians, you know, to balance out uh, uh, this this huge economic disparity. Um, I, I think is is yeah, that would be my wish list. I'm just wondering. Um, you know, um, World Vision operates by um, having individuals connect with children and supporting children. Um, and I, you know, it, it always helps. I think the reason that that um, we, as a parish, become connected is is um, because we've got to know individual people. Um, and I wonder if there was a way to increase that relationship hmm. in a where, um, say, families perhaps got to know a child or um, individuals got to know um, a family. You know, like, it's, I, I have no idea how that would and it's because it's all again it comes down to the kind of accountability and like it's not just a matter of send, it wouldn't be maybe as important to send money as to have the relationship yeah but the, the relationship is difficult um because of the money, because then you hear back, well, my child's sick, or we had a fire in the house, um, and, and it's, or we had a flood, right? So how do we respond then in that situation becomes, because, because it's such an unequal relationship, it gets hard to, to know how to, to, to respond then. I mean, I, I agree. I, actually, I was thinking maybe the relationship could be between individuals and different churches. Yes. I mean, I, I was, you know, one thought that had gone through my mind was perhaps, um, you know, with Opportunity International, they could save to build the, there's, there's a variety of churches where they've got all the mud bricks ready, but they don't have the money to pay for the wood and tin for the roof. Um, um, you know, it's $3,000. I mean, we could probably raise that fairly quickly if, if we decided to do that. We could pay for it ourselves, right? Um, um but would there be a way of doing it where they raised half locally and we provided the other half doing matching funds or something? Something where they had ownership themselves. It was still their church. It wasn't given to them by someone else, and, and they did this with us, and we do it together. I don't know. But you provide the labor. Yes, yeah, they do do that. Yeah. They do do that now. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, yeah, sorry, yeah. Maybe we need to be educating the people here at the church about it and uh, have a newsletter every month. Or I know that would take somebody or you have a website. Yeah. We're working on a website. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, that that's the big thing. Yeah. Ah, okay. Really what's going on. Yeah. And keeping the connection through that way. Yeah. And, you know, that everybody needs to Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I think I think part of that education is that that it um, in some ways we want success stories. You know what I mean? Here here's the answer. And in a way, in in some sense, my my message is 
an education of, well, this is a puzzle. This is hard to do. We're, we're, we're making small steps towards doing this, but how do we do this well? And, and that, that, I think, is much, much harder to communicate somehow and engage in. So, anyway. Yeah. I just want to thank yeah. you again, Roger. You're welcome. <laughs> touched on an important issue around you know so much of what Jesus said was talking about love your neighbor but how do you love your neighbor and I think for me in the last two talks that you've given it's been a a real insight it's so easy for me to quickly write a check that may not account for much to me and then I think I'm being generous but maybe that the long term is not a benefit you know I think that I'm I'm solving a problem and then you end up with a room full of broken sewing machines you know which which I also saw so I I think that um yeah, uh, um, uh, Engineers Without Borders from Vancouver has worked in Malawi as well, and they've done a survey of all the water points in Malawi in the rural areas, and they found that 70% of the water points were broken. So there would be generations of things. So there would be a well that had been dug, and then it broke, and then someone would bring in um, gravity-fed water supply, and then that would be broken, and then there was the community with two generations of broken stuff sort of sitting there. And so... Their goal is not to provide, you know, clever engineering solutions, but to work with how can the communities develop their own, um, you know, water boards or, or, or organizational systems to, to provide maintenance for, for existing things. Anyway, sorry. No, no, I, no, I think that's great. I mean, it teaches us about patience, right? We want an immediate solution, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how do you actually have committed long-term relationship? To sustainability. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. I think welcome. this is such an important. <laughs> so I just wanted to remind you all. Um, there is no talk next week because there's an eight and ten o'clock service. Uh, so instead of uh, Dr. Packer, instead of speaking next week, he will be speaking on the 29th. Then we have Easter, and by then our new bookmark should be out for the next spring term. Uh, thank you all for your wonderful support of St. John's, and thank you to my secret admirer. I appreciate uh, uh, the appreciation. And uh, if I can uh, do anything to help, just we'll pack up our chairs. And thank you again for all the snack people. It's wonderful. Who's your, who's your secret admirer? I don't know. I got a lovely note today from a secret admirer. Most of mine are secret. <laughs> 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 <laughs>